You're listening to Radio Free Edville. It's Edville on the radio for free. I'm Roy Thomas Padgham, and this is your Edville Gazette for Friday, November 13th. Here's to a perfect Edville summer. For a brief shining moment last week, the world felt almost normal by Edna Farmer. Edville. Well, if you're a regular Gazette reader, you know I'm not normally one for yammering on or warm and fuzzy about the fall colours or the catfish jumping or any other sentimental codswallop about the weather. Canadians are nothing if not practically minded, by golly. But this past week was so unusually balmy and bountiful that even the early birds lining up to buy snow tyres appeared to be blissed out. Just two weeks ago, a snowy October blast had us all skidding and sliding all over the place and wondering whether we'd better haul out our flannel undies. But for a week, starting last Thursday, day after day, we had temperatures in the high teens. And everywhere you looked, people took full advantage, bebopping around in their shorts and shades and flip-flops. You could tell they were trying to draw in the last breath of summer before the onslaught of a dark and dreary pandemic winter. And if that wasn't enough, the warm spell arrived packing hopeful news, which has been in awfully short supply. On Saturday, a good many Canadians were as giddy as schoolgirls about that nice Joe Biden claiming the US presidency. Honestly, you'd think they'd had ice picks removed from their eye sockets. Then Monday brought news of a new COVID vaccine that sent the stock market soaring, carrying our hopes aloft with it. The climate doomsters spent the week tweeting at each other about the existential threat posed by the nice weather, but thankfully, they didn't spoil it for the rest of us. Now, you know I have no patience for pointy-headed bureaucrats lecturing us all day and night about what to think and how to talk. But my dear friend Madeline up in Rama happened to mention last week that she could do without hearing the phrase Indian summer ever again. Thank you very much. And I think she's got a point, since nobody even knows the origins of that little slice of Canadiana. Dick says we should grab this opportunity by the throat and put the phrase Edville summer into general circulation, like El Nino or the Chinook winds. Frankly, I'm not at all sure it'll catch on. But nothing can diminish the wonderful, unexpected, sun-drenched splash of joy we all felt last week. I don't believe in weather gods, but I surely am glad they're looking out for us all. Opinion Farmer. Sad Grey Candy Canes Portend Gloomy Holiday Season by Edna Farmer. Toronto. Well, I was in the big city Friday talking to the Gazette's lawyers about terminating a certain loose cannon know-it-all Gazette podcaster. The bitch is talking about me, folks. (laughs) And everywhere I looked, I saw the grim ghosts of Christmas yet to come. It was me who took that photo posted above, if you're wondering, so I can say without a word of a lie that it hasn't been doctored. All over the city, you've got these wonderful seven-foot candy cane sculptures planted here and there, just waiting for that stunning final coat of paint that will bring them to life for the holidays. But alas, the city's holiday beautification program has been placed on hold, 
partly due to budget cuts, but also because the elves employed in decorating the place are now under a month-long pandemic lockdown. Let's hope this is just a temporary hiccup. We're all going to need as much Christmas cheer as we can get this year, by golly. And whatever else you might say about improvising new holiday traditions in the time of the plague, well, battleship grey candy canes are hardly candy canes at all, are they? Badger. So now we're supposed to fret about light pollution? By Dick Badger. Edville. You know, I really don't want this space to become a weekly rant about the idiocy of our national broadcaster. But honestly, what the fuck are they smoking over there? So the Worry 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 department at CBC News has this week inducted light pollution into the chamber of technological horrors posing a threat to humans. And what's the precise nature of this threat, exactly? There's increasing evidence that it can disrupt the circadian rhythms of humans, an important biological process that regulates our sleep cycle. Oh. My. God. Call in the special forces. Now, if you're new to Canada, you likely don't know that our national broadcaster is under no obligation to ask whether there might be perfectly sensible reasons for the way things are before they dream up new ways to change everything. But ordinary Canadians get it. It's no surprise, for instance, that two of the worst classes of light polluters are car dealerships and parking lots. But it never seems to occur to these CBC types to ask, hey, is it possible that car lots are lit up like Christmas trees all night to deter auto theft? Or maybe, do all these horrid bright streetlights perhaps increase the safety of pedestrians and drivers? Seriously. When was the last time you heard one Canadian remark to another, Boy, I'm really fucking worried about disruptions to my circadian rhythms. I'll tell you when. Never. And that's because we live in a vast, cold, dark country where no one over the age of 25 has had a decent night's sleep since we were chasing mammoths with spears. No. What the CBC's experts are really obsessed with is Canadians' energy use. Less light means less energy production, says one of them. Or to paraphrase a great Alberta premier, there's nothing more virtuous in a resource-rich country like Canada than voluntarily freezing in the dark. Here's an idea. Let's crowdfund a bus charter so all the CBC newsies can visit Napanee and enjoy the town's famous Big Bright Lights celebration. There's nothing quite like 750,000 colourful Christmas lights to remind you what country you're in. Local. What the fuck is a bloaterfish? By Dick Badger. Coburg. Officials from MNR have released roughly 3,000 bloaterfish into Lake Ontario and they're planning to release half a million per year once their new restocking program is in full swing. That's a shitload of fish. Bertie thinks this is an important ecological initiative, so we agreed to discuss it at our weekly editorial board meeting. But it turned out that no one at the Gazette, not even the old-timers, had ever heard of bloaterfish. Instead, we all got sidetracked in a long discussion about how bloated everyone feels after eating fish and chips up there at the Brighton Diner, 
especially on half-price Wednesdays. In the end, a consensus emerged, which is very rare for our board. We all agreed that people genuinely mean it when they loosen their belts and say they're never going to eat bloaty, battered fish again as long as they live, but that they simply lack the willpower to stop doing it every Wednesday. Preening podcaster Padgham may soon be looking for work by Roy Thomas Padgham. That's me, Edville. The editorial board of the Edville Gazette balked this week at this podcaster's attempt to jazz up the podcast segment Seg Sound Effects with snippets of copyrighted music from Duran Duran and Men at Work. Too fucking risky stated our plain-speaking, no-nonsense editor from his Edville barn. It's one thing for you to take the piss out of Bono, Mick Jagger, and Taylor Swift in your editorial contributions, but those copyrighted recordings are sacrosanct. Subsisting, as it does, on the meagerest of budgets, the Gazette is wary that the declining music business is intent on scraping revenue from every imaginable nook and cranny, including the five-second spots between articles narrated on our podcast. But think of the publicity we'll generate for the Gazette if we're sued, I implored our gun-shy fun-sucker-in-chief. We'll make the business pages of the Financial Post and the Global Mail for sure. For the thousands of dollars those record labels will bleed us, he retorted, we could take out front-page ads on both those newspapers. I suppose he's right. Why throw the baby out with the bathwater? I'll just have to continue plumbing YouTube for copyright-free sound snippets of egrets and tractors for your amusement, podcast lovers. By the way, my original headline for this piece was Edville Editorial Board Spooked by Prospect of Podcast Prosecution. Dick, ba- Dick Badger changed it to Preening Podcaster Padgham May Soon Be Looking for Work. No, we don't call him Dick for nothing. <laughs> Lobster Dispute Amplified by Accusations of Elitism Feds Flounder by Missy Blingpunk Weymouth, Nova Scotia There appears to be no end in sight for the lobster dispute bedeviling Canada's Atlantic provinces. Most lobsters are naturally red or orange in colour because of the pigment chromatophores in their shells. Some may appear green or brown in the wild, but almost all end up Ferrari red when they land on your plate because the dominant pigment, how the fuck do you pronounce that? Astaxanthin is not diluted during the boiling process. As we reported in October, the occasional discovery of rare blue lobsters has traditionally been regarded by mariners as a sign of great good fortune, which is why the blues are kissed, coddled and released, while the reds and oranges suffer the humiliation of being piled en masse into plastic bankers' boxes. Indeed, the elite blues have acquired rock star status, attracting international media coverage and the sponsorship of Hollywood celebrities. For the reds and oranges, life remains nasty, brutish and short. Lobster rights advocates have mobilised in defence of the reds and oranges, invoking international covenants on the trafficking of crustaceans. 
Canadians have been blasted on social media for their refusal to admit that such a blatant injustice amounts to true blue Tory elitism. The Feds, meanwhile, have been caught flat-footed by what is now being called the Nova Scotia fiasco. Sources tell the Gazette that the PM and his top ministers see partisan advantage in a policy that favours the Reds, while Jagmeet Singh's NDP favour the Orange. Trudeau and Singh agree that Canada needs a national lobster diversity and inclusion program, but their caucuses remain divided on whether the initiative should be mandatory in regions with no lobsters. Tory leader Erin O'Toole, who has nothing to gain from stigmatising the blues, could not be reached for comment. Asked for his thoughts on the seemingly intractable lobster dispute, PM Justin Trudeau affirms solemnly that in a pluralistic, diverse and respectful society like ours, we must be aware of the impact of our words, of our actions on others. Caribou makes sexy time in New Park's Canada Love Nest by Abigail Lovely. Jasper. Lovelorn caribou are getting a hand up through a captive breeding initiative launched by the matchmakers at Parks Canada. Similar to everyone's favourite reality franchise, Bachelor Nation, the new programme revolves around a select group of five eligible stags who are presented with a large and diverse pool of potential sweethearts. From among these lovely caribou cows, the stags are expected to select appealing mates. During the course of the mating season, a bachelor stag may hook up with as many as 40 frisky females without forfeiting his claims to virtue. No roses being handed out on this set. The series will not indulge viewers' fantasies of torrid romance in exotic locations for these caribou dates, since wildlife professionals have been unsuccessful in identifying what studly stags on the prowl find sexy. At the moment... The best park wardens can do is to dim the lights and pipe in Barry White music. The caribou's play area is fenced off to pesky predators so the focus can be on oscillating the unmentionables. You certainly don't want marauding wolves to affect bachelor elimination. The Canadian government has high hopes for this caribou canoodling but neither the caribou nor their lawyers were willing to go on the record about having the feds all up in their business. G Grows Beaks by Bertie Bertram Toronto Veteran Globe and Mail columnist Marcus G is this week waxing nostalgic about the influx of evening grows beaks into the city. Even in hard times, he muses, the world is full of wonders. He's right, of course. Cynics may aver that poor old Mr. G has been too long locked down, but I'm not one of them. Perhaps when the Globe cans G for flouting the paper's editorial doctrine of maximum political derangement, we can put him out to pasture here at the Gazette to marvel at the wonders of nature all he likes. The World Democracy Doomsayers Doom Their Own Futures by P.J. Winters. Washington, D.C. If participation is the heart of a democracy, then the news of its death has been greatly exaggerated. After bloviating about threats to American democracy for the past four years, 
pundits, editorialists, opportunistic grifters and your nervous Uncle Larry were crushed last week. Not, as you might imagine, under the weight of their own hubris, but by a participatory wave of some 147 million votes and counting. This was the highest participation rate in an American presidential election in well over 100 years. And now, as the nominal president-elect forms his transition team and his opponent tries to persuade his compatriots that he is not a sore loser, doomsayers from every point of the political spectrum find themselves adrift on a sea of their own malarkey. The real problem has been laid bare. It's not voter apathy, low information undecideds, or poor turnout. No, the real problem has always been not getting your own way. The future might well be doomed. It's too early to tell at this point. But with every new scare, one thing's for sure. The future isn't looking so bright for doomsayers. Big Iron Space Potato Worth 10,000 Quadrillion Dollars by Hugo Blue Outer Space A gigantic potato-shaped asteroid dubbed 16 Psyche, probably larger than Nova Scotia if you were so inclined to plop it down into the Atlantic Ocean, is said to be composed of untold riches in the ballpark of 10,000 quadrillion dollars. Scientists say that 16 Psyche is made up mostly of iron, so it was probably a protoplanet that failed to mature. But don't make fun, as it's worth more than the entirety of the Earth's global economy. Jealous much? Currently, there is no mission to go and get 16 Psyche and bring it back down to Earth with all of its sweet, sweet iron. Also, we've no idea how to do that. There is a mission, however, to reach 16 Psyche via a Mars gravity slingshot so a spacecraft can sample the merchandise by 2026. If you can see past all those dollar signs, there might also be something to learn about how planets form. Heavy metal stocks remain unaffected by the news. This has been your Edville Gazette for November 13th. I'm Roy Thomas Pageant. Join us again next week.